we are all connected somehow, some way to people. People who know people, who know more people, in our families, at work, in our neighborhood, at our kids' school, even at the gym. There are groups of people whom we are close to. We live life together. We live in circles. Good morning. I want to welcome you today on all of our campuses and Midtown. Uh, We're excited about what God is doing there in downtown. We're thrilled with what the Lord is doing there in DePage. And then I want all the campuses to put your hands together and welcome those in Cairo, Egypt today. Uh, We're so glad that you're joining us. And if you haven't been here the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been out and uh, a week and actually two weeks and went to my brother's wedding in San Diego, and, uh, which was a cool story. I put on Twitter there that the caterer ended up giving his life to Christ at the wedding while I was just standing in the kitchen talking to him and went and got his wife and said, I want you to talk to her. It was one of those crazy stories. And then uh, Catherine, my 14-year-old, now 15, she would be mad if I said 14, flew with me uh, to Egypt. And she made her first trip to Egypt. And the services which we launched in the first weekend in December with almost 500 people uh, went to two locations uh, already. And uh, El Minya and Upper Egypt, which is the south. When you hear us say Upper Egypt, that, that's confusing to people, but it's the south part of Egypt. And the reason they call it Upper is because it's higher and the Nile runs actually north. Uh, in Egypt. And so they call it Upper Egypt, but that's the southern part for you and me. And, and southern Egypt, there is a town called El Minya. And we did a second service in El Minya with a little over 300 people. El Minya is the place, the village we were in is the place where all 21 of the men who were martyred in Libya were from. And in that place to watch 300 people raise their hands to declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords is unforgettable. I will never forget uh, that scene and watching that play out. And I'm really excited uh, about trying to put a trip together with some 20-somethings this summer uh, into El Minya to minister to the villages and train pastors all over uh, the, that area and all the towns that are affected around there. And, and then we went to Cairo and we did a service and had uh, over, right at 700 people in Cairo. And, and what we, I'm going to send a video out this week telling you little details uh, and some specific things that God did. But the bottom line is this God positioned us last week in Egypt where we can realize what we've been dreaming about for the last 11 years. And uh, we have a building now in Heliopolis, which is an ancient city. It's even mentioned in Scripture. It's one of the cities in Isaiah 19 that is mentioned uh, where an altar to the Lord will be placed. And we just happen to believe that for some reason God is letting us be a part of that. And I just want to say to you today, church, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for hanging on all these years years to what we believed God was showing us and where he was placing us and what he was going to do with us. And I just want to tell you, I love you. I want you to give yourself a hand and thank the Lord uh, for what he's doing in in our midst. Uh, This last week, I did one of my favorite things. We got home from Egypt on Saturday night and left Sunday morning uh, to go snow skiing. And uh, my... 
that circle of riding down that mountain on skis or snowboards with my kids is one of my favorite things to do with them. The conversation on the ski lifts and the laughing and just the cutting up, I love, love, love to do that. I joined the circle of the people that are way too old to ski 40 miles an hour. And uh, in fact, the ski conditions were deplorable because uh, it was almost 60 degrees. We're skiing in t-shirts. And uh, about 35 miles an hour at the bottom of the mountain, I hit a puddle of water. And it stopped me dead in my tracks as it slingshotted my left shoulder into the ground. And it, it is separated. And uh, so I've joined that circle. We're going to get that checked out and x-rayed today. And so if I look uncomfortable up here, it's because I am. And I want to say to you that we play through the pain sometimes, but I want you to know I love you. I just can't hug you today, okay? And, and so uh, I, I am a hugger. I love hugging people and love, you know, saying hi to people. I just can't do that uh, today. A couple of people say, well, you should put it in a sling, and that way no people will know. I'm just not a sling wearer either. And, and, and so uh, today uh, we're, we're going to jump into this text. And if you were here last week, our campus pastors preached on all of our campuses last week, and we began a new series called Circles. And, and they began the, the message by asking this question. How many of you have met somebody famous? Not like you went to a concert or a ball game or whatever, but you met somebody uh, who was famous. And I didn't see the hands from the angle, but raise your hand if, if you were one of those people. So there's lots of people in our campuses who have met somebody who's famous. Uh, I want to kind of play the same game this morning, but it's going to be a little bit different. And so here, here's the question that I want to ask you. How many of you on all of our campuses... You either have right now or you have had or you know somebody who has right now or has had cancer. Would you just slip your hand up and let me see it. And hands are shooting up all over the Battle Creek campus, which I'm sure they are at every campus as well. In fact, it looked to me like almost every single hand went up. And it's a tragic reality that we are united by tragedy as much as we are joy. Right? And we've got these circles that we rejoice in and we cheer each other on in. But there are also circles uh, that are formed out of grief. And there are also circles that are formed out of brokenness. And, and almost all of you raised your hand when I asked that question. And almost all of us today are united across different parts of Tulsa and across different parts of America and across different parts of the world today. We're all united and we share that circle of people who've been touched by cancer. And last week, we started talking about the circles that, that we live in, right? We have circles. We, we got work circle, right? And we got school circle, and we got neighborhood circle, and, and we got all these circles. And we have, you know, circles of people we sort of know, and we got circles of people we really know, you know, and we do life with, and we have circles of people that we play sports with or our children play uh, some activity or some sport with. But as Christ followers, as Christ followers, we have and we all share the Jesus circle. And the whole aspiration of TC is that we would use whatever circles we're in out there to bring people into the Jesus circle. That we would use and leverage whatever influence we have to bring those people into the circle where they come to hear about Jesus Christ. And they ultimately put their trust and their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we took these little circle cards and we wrote three names of people that we believe God uh, it, it wants to use us. 
students to invest in and to invite to a place where they can come to know Christ. And here at the Battle Creek campus, they're stationed in these coves all around the room. And every one of those little colored circles has three names on it. So in this room, there are thousands and thousands of names that are represented of people that, that we want to invest in. And I'm sure they're at the other campuses up at the front as well. But, but if you weren't here, I want you to think through who are the people that God wants me to invest in and to invite to a place where they can come to know Jesus Christ. And, and invite them next week to our extravaganza. For years, we've been doing this event called Extravaganza on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, uh, where we do inflatables and egg hunts and games and all that for babies all the way through teenagers. And every year, lots of kids give their life to Christ. And every year we ask you, let your children have their unchurched friends spend the night on Saturday night and I know it's a hassle. Listen, I get it. We live in the same world you live in. And in fact, every time we have this conversation, the kids will say to Meredith, you know, and Meredith will look at me and say, you're not here when it's time to bring kids to church. And you're not here when it's time to do the car and load up all those kids. You're gone, you know, preparing to preach or whatever it is. You know, and, and so I got to put, and we sometimes we have to enlist neighbors, you know, to help us drive all the kids that are spend the night at our house. I get it. I know it's a hassle. But when you watch people come to know Christ, and one day in eternity, when that kid approaches you and says, I'm here because of you. I'm here because you let me spend the night at your house. I'm here because you brought me to a place where I could hear Jesus and understand the gospel. It will be worth the inconvenience of that one night. And this year is not only the kids that we're doing that for, but I'm going to also share the gospel in here very simply and very clearly. And every time I do a gospel message on a Sunday morning, people will catch me in the guest reception and they'll say, Pastor, I love the message. Had I known that's what you were going to preach, I would have brought my friends. I would have brought the people I work with. I would have brought the people that work with me. If I had known that was the message, I would have brought people. So I'm telling you right now, that's the message. Next Sunday. And so you bring them. And I am imploring you as a pastor in the loudest and strongest way I ever have. Leverage every ounce of influence you have and that God has given you to get those people here next Sunday or the following Sunday on Easter Sunday. The ground is fertile at this season of the year, and I'm asking you to leverage and use every ounce of influence you have for the sake of the gospel. Now, if you got your Bible, turn over to Philippians chapter 1, and I want to show you this, this passage and this story out of the life of Paul. And as we turn there, I want you to go in your mind mentally to the best place. I mean, what's the best place on earth uh, for you? And I know it's right here, you know, hearing me preach. I know that's the best place for you, but the, the second best place, okay? And so maybe that's Disney World or, 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 you know, maybe that's your worst place, right? And, you know, across the spectrum, we all got different likes and tastes. But think about also the worst place on the planet. Maybe that's the DMV or... or uh, you know, your in-laws. I don't know where it is for you, but think about that. But there is this one place on earth where I can think that no one wants to be, right? No one who's there chose to be there and asked to be placed in that situation. And the place I'm talking about is jail, right? I can't imagine anyone wanting to go to jail. I can't imagine anybody in jail saying, thank you, God, for putting me here. I'm so glad that I am in jail. This gives me a whole new circle of friends. I'm so grateful that you put me here. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's exactly what Paul is, does. And, and in fact, I, as I read it, I think he's some kind of a freak, right? I mean, I don't understand this guy, Paul. And when you read this letter of Philippians, you need to keep that in mind. He's in prison. That's why we call it the prison letters, right? He's in prison as he's writing it, and he's facing this really difficult time. 
a really hard time. He's facing persecution, and, and in fact, he's facing execution. And what's the one thing we think about when we think about the book of Philippians? I taught all the way through the book of Philippians several years ago. In fact, it was one of the just God series that God just fell in our midst and did some real fresh things in people's life as we walked verse by verse through the book of Philippians. But the one word that that comes to my mind when I read the book of Philippians is the word joy. It's the joy book. It's the book about joy written from prison. To which you think, what is Paul thinking? Well, I want to tell you what Paul uh, was thinking. In chapter 1 and verse 12, if you got your Bible, look at that verse with me. I'll put it right here. It says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, and you can circle that word here and underline it in your Bible because he's not speaking metaphorically about, you know, everything that happened in the world. He's talking about everything that happened right here in this prison. Everything that happened here has helped to spread the good news. That right there is the basis of Paul's joy. It's the gospel. And he is in jail. And the people he is writing to, his audience, the recipients of this letter, they know he is in jail. And they know all the details. They have been on their knees praying for him. They've had prayer meeting after prayer meeting asking God, oh, God, would you be with Paul and would you take care of Paul? And when he goes to court today, would you be in that courtroom? And God, Jesus, would you be present there? Let the lawyer say the right words and let the judge rule the right way. And some of you prayed those kind of prayers. And that's what the church was praying for Paul. And he's writing this letter and he's sort of interpreting their prayers. And and, and he says to them, it's okay. In fact, he goes as far as to say, it's great. I have found a whole new way to share the gospel in the prisons. And his happiness is not based on his circumstances. It was based on the gospel. And he wasn't happy because everything was going right. He was happy because he was talking about Jesus. And because he was sharing the good news with the people who had never heard it and did not know Christ and everything he's been through, which if you read the Bible, I mean, Paul went through shipwrecks and beatings and trials, imprisoned. Everything he's been through has turned out okay. Why? Because he has this incredible and amazing opportunity and honor to share Jesus Christ. And look what happens, and look how this plays out as God is giving him this new uh, circle uh, for him to operate from. In the very next verse, in verse 13, it says, For everyone here, prison, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. They know that for Paul. Listen, everything has a purpose. Even the bad stuff that happened to him, it has a purpose. And and Paul is looking to influence someone there. And he's looking to preach the gospel there. And in every situation, Paul is thinking about those circles. And he's thinking about who can I talk to and who can I bring into the Jesus circle. And when he is in jail, the worst of worst situations. He gets to expand his circle to a group he would have never otherwise gotten to talk to about Jesus Christ. And Paul was always looking out for ways to make his circle 
bigger and bigger so that he could tell more and more people about Jesus. And, and I just want to say to you, sometimes I hear Christians uh, say, you know, we don't care about numbers and we're not interested in the numbers. And, you know, I don't like, you know, being all about numbers and all that. And I just want to say to you, that's not really from the heart of a Christian. That's really from the enemy. And you got to hear me when I say that. that. That is nonsense for a Christian to say, I don't care about the numbers. Why? Because every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every single one of them matter to God. And one day, listen, it's all going to come down to, are you in the number of circle and in that people who know Jesus Christ or not? And that's all that's going to matter in the end. That's all that's going to matter. In fact, God cares so much about numbers, he titled a whole book in the Bible, Numbers. So God cares about it. And so anytime you hear a Christian say, I don't want to be about the numbers, just say, get behind me, Satan. That's not from God, right? That's not from the heart of God. And and Paul is trying to get this circle bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's in prison and he's influencing people. Who did he influence? The palace guard. The the jail uh, guards, the prison guards. And by the way, they're not just any prison guards. These are the emperor's elite guards. He's in Rome. These are Caesar's bodyguards. Now think through this for a minute. Philippians... They're used to Paul being in jail, right? Because there's a story previously in the Bible. Acts chapter 16, you can write it down and just look it up later today. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul was thrown in prison in Philippi. He was in prison in the town that he is now writing the letter from the prison in Rome to. And he and Silas are in that prison. They're thrown in jail because of some sort of treason. And now they're in prison. And the Bible says about midnight, they're cursing and screaming. And no, it says about midnight, they were praising God. And they were singing praises to Jesus. When all of a sudden the earth began to shake and quake and the chains fell off and the gates opened up. You remember that story? And what happens next in that story is the warden walks in and sees that all the gates are open and all the cells are open. And he gets so nervous, he's about to kill himself. He's about to commit suicide, but Paul and Silas call out and they say, hey, 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 wait, don't do that. We're here. And the Bible says in that story that the warden uh, was so stunned by the fact that they were still there that he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Don't you wish every witnessing opportunity was that easy? Somebody just walk up to you and say, hey, what, what do I got to do to be saved? This whole saved thing, can you help me with that? That's just not how it always plays out, right? In fact, usually that's not the way it plays out. And you hear preachers, you know, talk about they were on an airplane, and they started sharing Jesus, and all of first class got saved, right? And, the, you know, the pilot came out and put it on autopilot, and he got saved, and we just baptized everybody in the sink. And, all, and we hear that, and we think, God, that never happens to me. And in the, the book of Acts tells us that this guy got saved, and not only did he get saved, his whole family got saved. And they all got baptized that night. Why? Because Paul was in jail. That's why. And so now he's in Rome and he is in jail again. And he knows that God can use this. Why? He's been there before and God used it before. And God looked out for him the last time. Why won't he look out for him this time? Won't he care for us again? And it's amazing how we as Christians have such amnesia about how God took care of us and how God walked through us and, and God walked through something. But some, we, you know, we face something new and we're like, oh. God's like, just remember. That's why all the time in the Old Testament he's saying, put an altar here. 
Stack up some stones so every time you pass it, you remember what I did. And, and he does. And everyone hears about Paul. And the God that he serves named Jesus Christ, even the elite guard, Caesar's own Navy SEALs are hearing about Jesus Christ. And, and look at the end of the letter. I, I just If you flip all the way to chapter 4 and verse 22, listen how he ends this thing out. And he says, and all the rest of God's people... Send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. He led people in Caesar's household to Christ because he was in prison. Paul's circle is expanding and expanding, and it's growing in influence. Why? Because he was in bad shape, and he was in trouble, and he was suffering. But Paul, I want you to write this down, saw suffering. And instead of asking, why me, he asked, what now? He asked, how can you use this God? And so many of us are stuck with tragedy and we're stuck with suffering. And and, and the automatic response so often, the human response, is to ask, why? Why? And I'm not going to be that pastor that browbeats you and says, you know, you shouldn't ask why and I think that's silly. I think it's okay to ask why. I think it's human to ask why. I think it's normal to ask why. And I would go beyond that theologically. God can handle us asking why. He's not so insecure that he's on his throne saying, hey, don't ask me why. He's okay with the question. And he's okay with us approaching him. And I think he's okay with us wrestling with him and crying and and mourning. In fact, I think that's fine. I I just want to challenge you today. When you're done crying and when you've wiped the tears away, at that point we need to say to God, okay, God, how are you going to use this? How can you use this for the gospel? And I want you to know that what now is ultimately a better question than why me. And I want you to meet a friend of mine. And she got one of those calls recently about six months ago. And she was stuck with a very tragic situation, cancer. And she sent me a link to a blog that she wrote. And in the blog link, she sent me a little email and a message and called me out on the blog and said, hey, my pastor preached this message about you know, you need to have one person that you're influencing for Christ all the time. And she said, on my way home, I thought, I don't have any non-Christian friends. My kids go to preschool at a Christian place, and, and, and there's just Christians everywhere. And every, I don't know any non-Christians. And she thought, maybe I need to expand my circle. And, and she ended up with a diagnosis of cancer. And, and I want you to watch uh, Tiffany's story because I gave her a GoPro camera, and I asked her to document the whole journey in faith, believing there would come a day where she could testify to who Jesus was and how Jesus used that situation. Watch this video. March 22nd, 2015. Somehow through this crazy ride called cancer, God decided to use me. So weird. Why? Why would he choose me? I'll probably never know why, but the more challenging question is why not me? 
I guess first I have to go back to the beginning of all of it. Back to August 7th, the day I got the confirmation phone call that I had stage 3 invasive triple negative breast cancer. This tumor was somehow bringing to the surface all the circles of people around me. So at this point in my journey, God is showing up to me. That's awesome. I am thankful for all He is doing to show me that He is with me every step of this. But then I hear a sermon and everything changes. I get a paradigm shift. God is using all these people to help me and show me love and friendship and support. But that day at church, what I heard was, okay, all these people are meeting your needs, but what are you doing? So... This is one area that God has given me a circle. And these ladies, we talk about the effect on our relationships, the effect on our bodies, the effect on just every part of life that this has. And they become blessings to me, and God has a real plan in each of our lives to the story that He's given all of us. So. But God showed me the new group I now belong to, Cancerites. Yep, those of us walking down a road we didn't choose to be on. But nonetheless, walking together once we discovered we shared the same destination. Somehow God chose to give me a new circle with whom I can share Jesus. And we're kind of stuck with each other. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that, and I stopped and I thought, I, I'm almost to the point where I can say I'm thankful that I got breast cancer because I've met her. I've met lots of other people. I'm this close. I'm not quite able to say I'm thankful I got cancer. Um, but I'm thankful that I've been given an opportunity to um, meet people and um, grow and share and just experience something I never would have. Anywhere you look, there are people hurting, and people need to hear the story of Jesus. I just happen to be thrown in the middle of a seriously needy group. So if we are to each go where we are needed and reach out to those who are searching, I hope next time it's someone at my kid's ball game instead of at a cancer treatment facility. But this is where God is putting me, and I should go. My good news is that I have Jesus. My responsibility is to do what I can to make sure my circles do too. done in her life. I want you to go back to Philippians 1 for just a second. And I want to show you what happens when we stop asking why me and we start asking what now. And God, what are you going to do? Paul is in prison and his circle is growing and he's influencing new people in new ways. And I want you to look at the effect that he had on the people that were around him. In verse 14, it says, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here 
in prison have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. In other words, because I was here and because God used me, those around me, these Christians, they've gained confidence and they are now confident in God and they see Paul's example and their faith grows. Their faith is growing and their confidence is growing. And then they boldly speak. Listen, they don't just show people Jesus. You know, sometimes believers just say, we're guilty of saying, I just hope people see that I'm different. And, you know, as a result, they come to know God. Listen, they don't just show Jesus. They're telling people about Jesus. Boldly, they are opening their mouths and talking about Jesus. And they get involved in the process and start telling other people about Jesus Christ. And they can do all of this because they're walking now through this fearful situation. And I think that's the hiccup, right? Where, where most of us as believers, where we get stuck in this process, when it comes to telling other people about Jesus, it's fear. It's not that we have the wrong motivation. It's not that we uh, you know, don't want to do it and don't want to be involved in the kingdom and don't want to be involved in this process. We're just afraid. And for most of us, we know what to say. We just don't say it. Because we're afraid of what those people in that circle will think. But I want you to write this not just on your paper. I want you to write this in your heart. The truth is God put you in that circle. Why? So that you can share the good news of Jesus. That's why you are in that circle. And the next week is a great opportunity to invite those you've been investing in. Palm Sunday and the extravaganza and Easter Sunday. It's the easiest two Sundays all year in all of our cities to invite people. And in all of our environments and all of our campuses, we'll have egg hunts and games. But the point of all of that stuff, listen, is so that you have a hook to invite kids and to have your kids invite their friends. And so you can bring their parents with you. And we will share the gospel in a very simple and very clear way. And we we are believing for hundreds of children to get saved next week. Hundreds of children. And every one of our environments, in this environment, we're going to do the same thing. We will share a very simple and very clear gospel presentation. And we are expecting many, many people to hear about Jesus. And we are believing for many, many people to be saved and to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And some of you just got really, really excited. Because this is the opportunity. That kid got really excited. <laughs> because you already know who you're inviting. Right? You already know who they are. And, and others of you, you just got really nervous and afraid. And I want you to know today it's okay for you to admit that. And it's okay for you to tell God that. Hey, God, I, I'm not sure about this. I'm afraid of that. But listen. The one thing I know about Paul, he was in the worst of worst scenarios. And I promise you he was afraid. But he didn't keep silent. He talked in the midst of that. Look, look back again at verse 13 again. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Jesus Christ. How do you think they knew that? He wouldn't stop talking about it. Right? I mean, he was talking about Jesus. He could have taken the easy road. He could have taken the road, which, by the way, in many people's eyes would have been the wise road. He could have taken the road that would have been the prudent road and the practical, expedient road. He could have kept his mouth shut, and it would have helped his case. 
But instead, he was telling anyone and everyone about Jesus Christ. Listen, he was in jail for telling people about Jesus. That's why he was there. And yet he said, I'm going to use this scenario and they won't shut me up in jail if they put me here. But, but there are others of you. You're afraid. Not, not about sharing Jesus. You're afraid of the circumstances that you're walking through. You're afraid of the suffering that, that you're in the midst of. And maybe it's cancer like it was for Tiffany. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's a bad divorce. Maybe it's a rebellious teenager. Whatever it is that's got you scared. The last thing you're thinking of is how can I use this to share the gospel? Because you are in survival mode. And and you're just trying to get through it. But I just want to challenge you with something. Don't waste the experience. And can I challenge you, partner with God as you walk through it. Go back to verse 4 and verse 5 in Philippians 1. And he says, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. He's saying, you have partnered with me. You were a partner in this whole imprisonment and this guard coming to Christ and and, and people in Caesar's house coming to know Jesus. The believers in Philippi, listen, they were partners in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they didn't take a break when they heard that Paul was in prison. No, they gathered and they prayed and they turned up the volume and they turned up the heat. And look what happens because of that. Because of Paul's words there. Remember, he's in prison and he may not get out. He is staring execution in the face. Look at verse 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see the promise God began something in you, and now this happened, and you're scared. And you're scared because you don't know if God will finish it. And you're scared because you don't know if God is going to complete it. But Paul knows this. Listen, and he is reminding us, God will finish what he starts. Don't you worry about that. Listen, God's not finished with you. Until he takes you to heaven or Jesus comes back, he's not finished with you. And however it turns out, God is in control. And we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to be scared. He's in control. And think about those people who heard Paul's message and and heard him talking about Jesus while he was in jail. You know, the first day he shows up, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's sharing Jesus. Certainly there had to be people that said, Paul, hey, pal, the reason you're here is because you were talking about Jesus. Do you not understand that? Where is Jesus now, Paul? And day two and day three and day four, he won't shut up talking about Jesus. Hey, Paul, where where is Jesus? Is Is he coming to get you out of here? talking 
And he keeps walking through a fearful situation with joy and the difference in what others can see in him in those moments. Listen, this is Philippians. This is the book of joy. This is the book that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. That's the same book. And Paul is joyful. Listen, I'm not saying he's happy. Happiness is built on circumstances and happenstance. Joy is built on Jesus in you. And he's not just fearless. He's joyful. And in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his persecution, he's full of joy. And others see that. And eventually, I'm sure the conversation was, hey, Paul, you keep talking about Jesus, and they keep whipping you. And you talk about Jesus, and they beat you. But you keep smiling and you keep praising God for what is going on in your lives. And they start listening. And they start asking. And clearly they start believing. Not because Paul was fearless, but because he was full of joy. And whatever circumstance you're in and you find yourself in today, listen, it it may be fearful. But if you will walk through it full of joy, those around you in your new circle, they will see it. I promise you they will see it. And if you will talk about Jesus, you just wait. And then it may not come in week one or week two or week three. You, you, just, wait. you just keep going to chemo and talking about Jesus. You just keep going to the support group or whatever it is and keep talking about Jesus. You just keep walking through with the attorneys and talk about Jesus. But be full of joy. And people will take notice as you walk through whatever it is you're, you're walking through. I'm confident there is an orthopedic doctor this week that's going to hear about Jesus. And an x-ray tech. And I pray I don't have to talk to a surgeon about Jesus this week. God will finish the work in you. And you may not feel like he will. And you may be scared, but I want you to hear me today in faith declare over you that God will finish what he starts and he is always in control. And when we choose to partner with him instead of skipping out on that process in the journey, he will not only do it in us, he will do it through us and he will do things in the lives of people. And if we will face our fears head on and rejoice in the Lord always, even this, whatever this is, God will keep working, and you can keep talking about Jesus, and pretty soon lives will begin to change, and you will watch that play out in the lives of the people that you're around. I want us to pray together. Every campus, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And just as a way of personal confession this morning, I not only want you to pray about who you need to invest in and who you need to invite the next couple of weeks. I want you to pray about your circumstances. And some of you are walking through some circumstances and and maybe you have a promise from God, but you don't see it playing out. Maybe you have a word from the Lord, but you're not experiencing uh, what, what you believe God said. And you're afraid he's not gonna finish what he started. Just this personal confession between you and the Lord. Would you just slip your hand up on every campus? That's you. I'm afraid he's not going to finish. Just leave it up for a minute. And I'm going to pray. Every campus, just slip it up. Every hand that's raised is an indication to God, hey, he's praying for me. 
God, I pray for the dozens and dozens of hands in this room and I'm sure hands in every room represented today. I pray for the hands of those raised watching on the internet all over the world today. And I pray you'd meet them right where they are. I thank you that you're big enough, you're strong enough, you're not intimidated to meet every need with every hand raised at the same time and not be tired when you get done. And I pray, God, that you would meet them right where they are, that you would give them faith, that you would give them courage, that you would encourage them, you'd put courage in them, and that you would give them eyes to see what you're doing and what your plan is and what the next step is. And I pray you'd meet them right where they are, and I pray you would give us tremendous faith in you, and you would give us the ability to talk Jesus no matter what we're walking through, that we would talk to Jesus and we would talk about Jesus. And I pray today, God, for our church. And I pray, Father, there are moments and there are days where we try to do it in our own strength and there are days when we try to do it on our own expertise and and, and our own ability and what we've learned and trying to do it expediently and trying to do it efficiently And, and Father, there are times when all of that is important and there are times when all of that becomes an idol and what we really need is an experience with Jesus and when we see Jesus face to face, everything else does not matter Everything else falls to the wayside. Give us as a corporate body, give us as believers in Christ, those moments together, those moments with Jesus where we are in his presence and we know it, we are in his power and we feel it and we understand it. God, would you take your people and set us on fire in our personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. You can put your hands down. Before I say amen, if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're a guest today, maybe somebody brought you, or or, or maybe you've been in church your whole life and the Holy Spirit today has shown you, you you don't know me. And you need to trust Christ today to be your Lord and Savior, right where you're seated. Every one of our campuses, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, and my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say Amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for the salvation of men and women and boys and girls?